Good morning. You can follow along with me. We're going to be doing the Bible reading now. I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 8. We'll be reading verses 1 through 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Welcome. I want to say a special welcome to those visiting with us this morning. Uh, it's great to see you. My name is Jonathan. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to meet with you a little bit later today. Uh, it's my privilege to welcome you uh, with grace and peace in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to you from God our Father. I can say this because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Um, Paul has been uh, writing this letter to a church in Rome, and we've been working through this letter backwards, uh, partly to understand who it was written to, and also partly because we can approach this book of Romans so often like the manual, the textbook, and we think, okay, 
I can do it right, I can get it. But we realize that this letter is really just about what's different in the Christian community. I came across a, a quote this week from uh, the musical artist Stephen Curtis Chapman. And I didn't expect, to be honest, I didn't, nothing against Stephen Curtis Chapman, but I didn't expect something so profound to come from, from him. Uh, usually we sing their songs, but this is what he said. He said, theoretical grace is only good for theoretical needs. Jesus has come to set actual prisoners free. Theoretical grace is only good for theoretical needs. I don't know if you're here in church this morning and you're thinking, oh, how does this fit with my life again? What is really different now? Uh, what's really changed? Maybe grace for you seems like something that's different. If all this is theoretical and there is an actual freedom for men and women, then what are we really doing here? I was reading a book called Searching for Grace, and it's about uh, this, uh, this man and, and this mentor that he had. And uh, he's starting with his story, and I just want to share a little bit of it with you, so, so please forgive me as I read. You, this, you might not be able to read this. I'm not expecting you to read that, but just in case, you know, I'm not making it up. <laughs> uh, this is what Russ Masterson says. He says, I was, I was working at a large church in Atlanta. I knew God regarded me one way in grace, but I lived another way by means of an exhausting life of self-assessment devoid of grace. I constantly gauged how I was doing by keeping an internal scorecard. Does that resonate with some of you? And the wearying thing about my scorecard is that I never scored enough. Every evening as I drove the 25 minutes on the expressway from the church to our little craftsman house, I pondered how good this faith was if I was feeling imprisoned by it. I wasn't going to walk away from Christianity, but I was beginning to see why people do. Ooh. In this season of moralistic improvement, imprisonment, excuse me, due entirely to making my faith of freedom into a faith of merit. Did you hear what he said? Due entirely to making, my making a faith of freedom into a faith of merit, I discovered two verses and clung to them for dear life. Psalm 103, verse 32, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Masterson goes on to say, this convergence of forgiveness and righteousness by gift alone rescued me. I was at the end of my rope, not because the gospel was false, but because I wasn't resting in the entirety of its goodness. The truth that I was forgiven and fully righteous by no work of my own created a seismic shift in my soul. This revelation brought me from religious merit to gospel relief. And listen to his conclusion. If I am already forever forgiven and forever made pure and righteous by God, then it's impossible for God to have a scorecard where he tallies and ranks my reaction. And my internal scorecard could be transformed into greater rest in God's delight in me. Theoretical grace is good only for theoretical needs, but Jesus has come to set actual prisoners free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you relate to what Masterson is saying here? This, this idea that I have, 
I, I have a faith, but in my practice, it looks more like performance than it looks like redemption. It looks more like merit than it looks like trust. Are you striving to earn? My encouragement as we come to Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 to 17 this morning, is to recognize that a change has come. There is something different about the church, and the change entirely is external. It's not something that we do. It's not something we strive hard enough to figure out. It's not something that we can sort of scrap all of our, our resources and effort and knowledge and, and all, all of this. We can't sort of put it into the middle of the table and ask God to say, hey, can you make a nice meal out of all this? No, it's something entirely different. We're going to look at what that change is this morning. As we do, we come to uh, this letter, and in case you're just joining with us for the first time, uh, I want to just catch you up. Paul writes the book of Romans. He, he, he has this letter to Rome. He hasn't been to Rome yet, um, not necessarily in his life, but as an apostle. He hasn't been to Rome yet. He's writing to them because everybody needs to hear the news about Jesus. He's writing to them because they're a new community that's forming around Jesus. And he's writing because Jesus is going to transform them from the inside out. Again, transformation. It's change. It's not just a buzzword. It's the reality for the Christian. And we've been looking as we go through to see what this community is like. We've seen a community that's been called to peace, even though they were from all different races, all different socioeconomic backgrounds, even though they, wrote, they, they cheered for different footy teams, right? We saw that they had a common history and a common set of traits, even though they were so different. But here, in sort of the heart of this letter, which is where we're finishing the series, we come to a community that looks different, and it's different because it's a community that's born of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to be focusing on over the, last, the next two weeks. So the question I want you to wrestle with today is, what's the difference now that I'm a Christian? What's the difference now? What, what, what has changed what has changed? And by the end of today, I hope you see that what has changed is that now as a Christian, we are alive with the Spirit of Jesus. That's what's different. That's the change. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we've been made alive with the Spirit of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we can only comprehend spiritual truths with minds and hearts that are awakened through the power of your Holy Spirit. So I pray this morning that as we open the scriptures that you would speak to us, God, that you would meet with us in the inner place, in the secret place, that we would know and understand what it is you have to say to us. You have seen us every step of the way, Lord. You have known us before we took our first breath. And nothing is hidden from you. And so now would you come and speak and minister to us in our hearts today. We ask in Christ's name, amen. We're now alive with the spirit of Jesus. Earlier in Romans 6, Paul asked the question, well, now that I'm a Christian, do I go on sinning? Do I keep doing that? And, and Paul's like, no, you're dead to sin, but you're alive to God. And Romans chapters 6 and 7 are, are kind of Paul saying, look, you don't go back into sin, and, and you don't come back under the law. So he's telling them what they don't do. And finally, we get to chapter 8, and he's like, well, this is now what life is like as a Christian. 
This is now how you're different. This is now how you live. So if he'd said they were dead to sin and alive to God, here he gets more specific. He's going to say, Christians are alive in the spirit of Jesus Christ. This means four things. Four ways the spirit of Jesus changes you now. Hear Paul's words in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why does he say therefore? Because he's just said what a wretched group of people we are apart from Christ. But now Christ has redeemed us. That's the therefore. And because he's redeemed us, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're if you've never memorized scripture before, can I encourage you, memorize Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. It is a, a wonderful summary of even the whole chapters up to this point. Romans 8, 1 to 4. And what we're going to see today is that when the Spirit of God lives in you, you are profoundly changed. And there are four things the Spirit does now to make you different than you were before. Number one, the Spirit sets us free. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, verse 1, verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Paul's playing on this, this law terminology, right? We were bound by a law, and Paul says, well, this, the law that the Spirit brings is a law of life and peace, and that supersedes this law of sin and death, which has been done away with by Jesus Christ through his death, on the, death and resurrection, we are now set free for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. That's what we just celebrated. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who work really hard to be a Christian. Is that what it says? No. Who have read all the theology textbooks? No. Who, who go to the Baptist church. Is that what it says? No. Who live, who do not live according to the flesh, but live according to the Spirit. Right? The first thing the Spirit of God has done in the believers, he set you free. Hallelujah. There is, therefore, now no condemnation. What does that mean? That means that scorecard that you walk around with, the thing you're tallying, you know, you pull it out, your conscience, right? It takes the pencil and it throws it away. It says, put the notepads down. Examination time is over. You passed. There's no judgment that's coming to you. You are in Christ. The wrath of God that was just and holy and righteous against you has been taken by Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, there is now no condemnation. There, there is nothing out there. I know so many of you are waiting. You're sitting there waiting for that sin, that sin to just catch you. You may be disciplined by God if you walk in the flesh, 
But if you're in Christ Jesus, the record has been wiped clean. You're free. You're free. The Spirit of God has set you free. Windsor District Baptist Church, you are free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that's not a, that's not a feeling, folks. That's not, a, it's not a nice idea like, you know, well, I, I believe in democracy because freedom is a good idea. No, you were enslaved. You were bound. You were under the oppressive force of sin and death and all the fear and anxiety that comes with that. But in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God has set you free. If you listen to the Spirit, you hear, you hear the cell doors opening. You, you hear the sound of, 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 of your chains and your shackles falling. And can I encourage you? You can try and put them back on, but he broke the locks. Just leave them on the floor. Walk out of the cell. You're free. That's what the Spirit of God has done. And now that you're free, <laughs> I mean, you can actually be what God's called you to be. The Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Spirit alive in us, sets us free. Next, we'll see that the Spirit leads us to peace. Verses 5 to 8, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. This is a question of intent. What are we focusing on? The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. But now, you're in the Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus in you is going to lead you into peace. Oh, do we ever need peace? Do we? <laughs> how many headlines do we need to read? How, how, many, how many videos do we need to watch? I mean, I know some of you went to university and you were brought up on this idea that, that, you know what, if humanity just pools our resources together and if we just put the right people in the right places, that we can sort this mess out and we can establish peace. It doesn't work. And you know it doesn't work because it hasn't worked for you. Because even on your best day, even when you wake up and the sun is shining and you had your eight and a half hours sleep instead of the regular six, whenever, you know, you had the perfect cup of coffee and the boss, you know, clapped you on the back as you walked in the door and told you that you're going to be getting a raise soon and, and you know, 
all those relationships that were troubling you have seemed to settle down and, and you, you know, went to McDonald's and grabbed your coffee and, and you want to know, you know, you had an instant win and everything's just going perfect, right? Right? And you sit there and you think, yes, I have peace. This is peace. It doesn't last. There's that, there's that thought that the flesh, that yearning the flesh has, well, you know, it could be a little bit better, couldn't it? What if I just had this, what if my raise was just a little bit bigger? What if my house was a little bit bigger? What if, what if that woman found me attractive? What if, what if I got to drive that car? You see, you're, you're, the, the, the mindset of the flesh is going to lead you into death 10 out of 10 times. It will run you into the rut of sin, and when that is fully conceived, it'll give birth to death. But you're free now, and so the Spirit of God gives you a choice, and through the Spirit, you can actually be led into peace. Oh, it's, I've, it's so hard <laughs> because our flesh doesn't want to die. It doesn't want to give up the fight. But the Spirit of God is going to lead you into peace, and it's going to say, hey, it's okay. You have everything you need in Jesus Christ. I know your flesh says you need that. I know your flesh says that that's the thing that you have to have. I know your flesh wants this and that, but, but you have what you need in Jesus. Your future is secure. God's not mad at you. He loves you. He is not absent. He's present. The Spirit will lead you into peace. I'm going to grab a stool because my legs are giving way. <laughs> I had knee surgery recently, and somebody said, Hey, Jonathan, you're doing the Texas two-step up there. I was like, oh, sorry, sorry. So, <laughs> so I'll try to avoid being a distraction. But the Spirit of God changes us, number one, by setting us free. Number two, by leading us into peace. Like if you, if you, and you see this when you meet another Christian, right? Someone who has the Spirit of God, and you see somebody else with the Spirit of God, and you say, what's the difference here? I'll, I'll tell you what the difference is. You've, you're encountering somebody who has found peace. They have tasted of the goodness of the Lord. And, and so you meet them, and you sit with them, and you converse with them, and there's a light in their eyes. It's not all gray clouds. There's a light there. And, and, and you know what that's, that light is like because you've had that too. You see, you've allowed the Spirit to lead you into peace. I would encourage you this week. Make a list and then put it before the Lord. On that list, I want you to write down, these are the things that rob me of peace. And before the Lord, come before him and say, Lord, your spirit is, is, is in me to lead me into life and to lead me into peace. 
what do I do with this? <laughs> Lord, can you quiet it down? Can you give me strength? Can you comfort me? Can you help me take that step that I haven't taken yet, but I need to take it? Because the Spirit is in you to lead you into life and into peace. Thirdly, the Spirit not only has set you free, not only is the Spirit leading you into peace, those are two radical things that are different, but let me tell you the third one, and this gets me really excited. The Holy Spirit binds you to Jesus. Binds you to Jesus. Listen to what Paul says. You're not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body because of the Spirit who lives in you. You're different now because the Spirit binds you to Jesus. You could describe this in a number of different ways. You could say it unites us with Jesus. In John 14, the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples, John 14 to 17, sorry, I can't give you the exact reference, but in, in that discourse, Jesus promises his disciples, he says, when I go away, I know you don't want me to leave, and I just imagine you're a part of the 12, and you've walked around with Jesus, and I mean, if there's anyone, who, if there's any man on earth who could ever give people peace, it would have been Jesus, Right? Because, you know what, if the waves get a bit rocky, you say, hey, Jesus, can you just get up and just have a little word with the wind? If you see someone who's sick or hurting, you could bring them to Jesus and say, Jesus, look what they're going through. Can you do this? You even had somebody who died and Jesus brought them back to life. I mean, if there's anyone on earth who ever brought peace, it was Jesus. And he has the gall to say to the disciples, before he goes to the cross, that it's better that I leave. I mean, on what planet would that actually be better that he left? The only reason that is actually better that he left is because of the promise that he makes. And the promise that he makes, he says, if I go, I will send the comforter, the advocate. He will pour out his spirit and if you keep reading, he says, what will happen? He says, and I will come and make my home in you. And my father will come and make his home in you. So that after he rose from the dead, as he is literally leaving, as he's standing on the Mount of Olives, as he's saying, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, but you, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. As you do that, know that never will I leave you or forsake you. How can that be true? It's only true if the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And so that when He indwells me, Christ is with me. Oh, do you see it? 
He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't abandoned you. He makes his home with you. How are you different? Because Jesus is in you. Oh, help us. And the amazing thing is, is not only does this give life to your, to your spirit, this gives life to your physical body because this thing that we walk around in, it, it creaks and it groans and, and, it, and it has all sorts of failings. My mind is still trying to be renewed and restored. My, my thoughts are still being transformed and renewed. My spirit is alive because of Jesus, and that's the down payment that everything else is going to be made perfect in him. Because the spirit of resurrection that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that is in me, is the same spirit that is in you. Next week, you're going to hear Paul say, we're more than conquerors. Can you understand why he's beginning to say this? The spirit of God binds you to Jesus. <laughs> He's with you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. <laughs> well, that's different, isn't it? <laughs> you see, anything we do, anything we do that that advances God's work, that builds God's kingdom is simply the expression. It's the, it's the manifestation of the Spirit of God, the life of God in us. That's all it is. As Eddie said so beautifully, it's a table for broken people. All of us are broken. All of us have, have fallen short. All of us has, have messed up. A professional Christian can't make you holy. Jesus can a professional Christian can't renew your mind. Jesus can. A professional Christian can't restore your, your heart's desires, can't shift you out of this, this dependence on the flesh. But Jesus can. He does it through his spirit. He binds you to himself. The same Paul who wrote this letter, he was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan is what he described it as, a messenger of Satan to torment him. Paul said, lest that, lest that his, he would think too much of himself. And he said, three times he pleaded with the Lord to remove the thorn. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to take the thorn away. Because my power is made perfect in your weakness. How is his power made perfect in Paul's weakness? Only if the life of Jesus is in Paul. We're alive in the Spirit, which means we've been set free. It means we've been, he leads us into peace. The fourth thing that the Spirit does is teaches us to call God Father. Listen to what Paul says, and, and we'll, we'll come back to the beginning here in just a moment. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. 
For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now he's going to begin to stack some things here. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You see, in our rebellion, we were susceptible to spiritual evil. And in our susceptibility to that spiritual evil and the weakness of our flesh, we became slaves of sin. We were under the oppression of death. And we were absolutely terrorized. Terrorized at every turn. And so for some people, the idea that the, idea that the Spirit of God is trying to do something in you, is trying to exert some control in your life, it might feel a bit scary because you don't want to give up control. But here Paul says the spirit that we received is not a spirit of slavery, it's a spirit of sonship. A spirit of adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. What's different now? Not only does the Spirit of God set you free, not only does the Spirit of God lead you into peace, not only does the Spirit of God bind you to Jesus himself, but the Spirit of God calls or cries out to God as your Father. Your Father. You see... Before Christ came along, we, you may have had parents, but you were orphans. You are spiritual orphans. Totally cut off from the one who brought you life. But Jesus, as he opens his arms and as he dies on the cross, as he raises from the dead, as he ascends into heaven... He sends his spirit, and that spirit is your adoption papers. You're not an orphan anymore. And this has nothing to do with your biological father. Absolutely nothing. Hopefully some of you had a, had a biological father who... who who set a trajectory that enabled you to see the goodness of God. But for a lot of people, that's not their reality. Whether you had a good father or a bad father, no one could be this father. You see, because you didn't need a father in the flesh, you needed a father in your spirit. You need a father over your inner being. You need someone who claims you as, your, as his own, who says, I will provide for you, I will care for you, I will... I will give you everything that you need and I will tell you who you are and who you are is you are mine. Right now, if you are in Christ Jesus, the Spirit of God is crying out to him. teaches you to call him father. Why does this matter? This word Abba was a familiar, f familial term 
Uh, it wasn't the, wasn't the normal term that Jews would use to, to talk about their dad. But it was, this, it was the term that was used in the family home. So, what a child would instinctually say, dad, dad. And Jesus revolutionized our approach to God because he taught his disciples that that's what you call him. He is Yahweh, he is holy, he is almighty, but you, you call him dad. Martin Luther said this. He said, this is but a little word, Father. And yet, notwithstanding, it, it comprehends or understands all things. The mouth speaks not, but the affection of the heart speaks in this manner. He's saying, this, this word, Father, it's not, it's not a thought expression. It's a heart expression. Although I be oppressed with anguish and terror on every side and seem to be forsaken and utterly cast away from your presence, yet I am your child and you are my father for Christ's sake. I am beloved because of the beloved. Forgive the old language, but listen to what he says. He says, wherefore, this little word, Father, conceived effectually in the heart, passes all the eloquence of Demosthenes, Cicero, and of the most eloquent rhetoricians that ever were in the world. The matter is not expressed with words, but with groanings, which groanings cannot be uttered with any words or eloquence, for no tongue can express them. What's Luther saying 500 years ago? He's saying, I don't care how good a speaker they are. You could line up the best orators of all of human history and no one will reach the eloquence of a child calling to God as their father. Why? Because it's not a matter of the head, it's a matter of the heart. This is what the Spirit is doing. Is the Spirit of Christ in you? In terms of application, I just want to give you a few thoughts, and these are by no means exhaustive. I hope all I've done this morning, I hope all that I've done this morning is just to, is just to set, your, set your orientation in the right direction. To be alive in the Spirit. So what's next for us? First of all, we owe nothing to the flesh. When the flesh calls, block its number, all right? I don't know, raise your hand if you're getting scam phone calls all the time. Everybody getting scam phone calls all the time, right? You know the ones not to pick up, right? Sorry, Victoria, I'm not picking up if you ring, all right? Okay? You know, you get the text messages that say, oh, guess what? You, you owe me this much, this much. You know what I say? Delete. I don't owe you anything. Well, when the flesh comes to you and says, hey, you better, fa- you better satisfy me, You don't owe the flesh anything. It has no claim on you. Block its number. Delete the message. Move on. When the flesh says you have a bill that you have to pay, you don't have to pay it. Tear it up. Jesus Christ has paid my debt. 
Secondly, take the path of life and of peace. My sense as your pastor is this is the hard part for us. I had an unfortunate um, inter- interaction with one of my children recently. I'm not going to say who. And, uh, and I got a bit frustrated. And, and I said, why are, you, why are you always arguing with me? Why don't you just do what I asked you to do the first time? Raise your hand if you're a parent and you've said that, right? And I just, why? Why, 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 why? And the child said to me, Dad, I wanted to show you I could do it. It was like the Lord whispered in my ear, Jonathan, (laughs) stop trying to show me you can do it. Let me lead you in the path of peace. Come to God like a little child running to his dad. With reckless abandon, knowing you don't have the wherewithal but trusting that he's got everything covered. Let him lead you in the path of peace. Cherish the Spirit's voice. Learn to discern what the Spirit is saying. I will say this. I don't believe you can discern what the Spirit says if you haven't heard what the Spirit's already said. Okay? When we say discern the voice of the Spirit, that doesn't mean cross your legs, sit in the corner, close your eyes, and wait for three hours. Now, you might need to do that if you're doing it in prayer. But if you, have, if you don't know what he's already said, how are you going to actually know when he's speaking to you specifically? That's why we say here at WDBC, we are transformed by God's word and his spirit. It's because the word of God is authored by the spirit of God. Finally, come on in, kids. Great to see you. We're almost done. Exchange the faith of a servant for the faith of a son. Um, John Wesley, many of you have heard of John Wesley. John Wesley was a great uh, Christian, you know, Christian leader and missionary. And John Wesley, he described his conversion in this way. He said, he said, I exchanged the faith of a servant for the faith of a son. What does he mean by that? I think the prodigal son story tells us a lot. The older brother in the prodigal son story, he was outside the house. He couldn't participate. He couldn't, he couldn't enter into the joy because he only saw himself as a hired hand. He saw himself as a servant. If you don't have joy in your Christianity, can I suggest to you it's because you're primarily operating in the faith of a servant and you're not operating in the faith of a son or a daughter. You see, a servant has to wait outside. A son or a daughter gets to walk right in. What's the bottom line? All you will ever need is found in Jesus. Jesus lives in you now. 
As the band comes up, I want to remind you not to quench the Spirit of God. That means don't pour water on the the flame that the Spirit is trying to ignite. Don't quench the Spirit of God, but trust His power. I want to ask you this. If He would give you His very Spirit to dwell in you, is there a good thing you think He would hold, hold from you? I don't think so. So be at peace because God loves you as his own.